We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Sot Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Truth Perspective. It's been a several weeks since we've had a Truth Perspective installment, uh, thanks to that crazy election thing that we had going on for the past month or so. But uh, now we're back, and we're going to be discussing radical political correctness, liberal ideologies, and the, the decline of modern civilization. Today in the studio on this side of the globe... We have joining us special guests. We've uh, got Gina, Hi. Scott, hello, Elon Martin. Hi, everyone. And do we have Jason mm-hmm. on the other side mm-hmm. there? Who do we have over there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Joe. Oh, and Joe. Oh, okay, good. We got a full house today. Somebody put my name on the show. I couldn't. Oh well, that was there earlier anyway. Was there earlier? Then I changed it, but I guess you're back, so we'll fix that. And I'm Harrison Cayley, and well, first of all, thanks for joining us, everyone. It's going to be a fun discussion. Well, the reason we, one of the reasons we uh, decided to go with this topic, a couple. First of all, carrying on from the election, from the election, we've seen, if you've been following the SOT page at all, um, the kind of totally over the top, and when you look, when you look into it, kind of absurd. Um, focus in the not only the American media, but kind of all over the world in certain ways, this focus on um, the kind of rampant racism and xenophobia and uh, um, bigotry of not only Donald Trump, but his supporters. And so this is what the media is going on. Well, not just the media, social media people in general are just freaking out. Um, there's a great video, uh, I think, yeah, we've got it on the side page, The Shakening, mm-hmm. uh, which is just one YouTuber's commentary on the whole thing. Um, really funny, she has screenshots of all these uh, tweets of people say, saying, I'm literally shaking right now, I'm literally shaking right now, oh my god, um, because of the Trump win. And We've also got several articles, uh, a few best of the webs, kind of looking into this because it's really not as simple as it's being uh, portrayed as. But um, but people are freaking out. And we also have some videos from a Canadian professor and clinical psychologist, Jordan Peterson. And he, in one of his interviews that we've got on there, he says that he, you know, as a clinical psychologist, he's had people... Oh, no, no, not... not Jordan Peterson, but uh, this is um, another mental health worker who wrote an article on uh, basically why Trump and his supporters aren't racist, and it's uh, pretty much a big propaganda campaign, that in his mental health work, he's had at least two people personally um, come to him, patients of his, and he knows of several others from colleagues of his, who are literally suicidal over the Trump win and they're afraid like they're going to be going to concentration camps, they're going to be lynched or something like that. 
And the point that this guy makes in his article is that it's like just he he just says in, in the end of the article, stop it, you know, stop doing this because it's it's totally insane. And, and the the media response and the the portrayal of what's going on is actually making people suicidal. It's not anything that Trump has actually said or done because if you actually look at the um, not only the well the official policies of Trump and the the full context of the things he's actually said, he pretty much presents himself just as any other. Um, mainstream politician presents himself when it comes to issues of race or LGBT, and so it's it's just blown way out of proportion. But at the same time, so we've got this this total focus on all of these uh, um, isms and this identity identity politics going on. But you look at developments in another area, and this is where Jordan Peterson comes into play. Is that you see? that there is a kind of, um, there's a real phenomenon going on right now that focuses on some other isms, and that is just the, the, the crazy extremes to which this thing called political correctness has gone. And he, uh, he brings up the example, he's in Canada, of this recent bill that just got passed um, in the Canadian legislature, which basically adds um, these gender categories to, I believe it's to something like the, the Canadian Human Rights Code, but basically it, it makes, uh, it classifies um, gender kind of speech as uh, a hate crime. So he gets into the kind of the implications of this, and according to him at least, and it looks like he's right, this is just, it's, it's kind of unprecedented and really dangerous. <laughs> Because the the uh, the liberal view of this has basically gone the direction of total authoritarianism, where free speech is being criminalized, and he's a, a living example. He's um, you know he's been censured by his his university and told to to stop what he's saying, and all he said was that he he will refuse to to use gender neutral pronouns. It's not that he actually even did uh, not use gender-specific pronouns. All, he's, all he said was that he intends in the future not to use this. And this was, he said this before the bill was even passed, and yet his university um, took off with this and you know, sent him these letters uh, to you know, basically cease and desist letters because what he says reflects on the university, and et cetera. But this is just part of a bigger um, trend going on especially in universities, and the Health and Wellness Show talked about it a week or two ago on the, the whole, um, you know, precious snowflake phenomenon and the, the idea of these kind of safe spaces and these universities are introducing, um, um, what do you call it, like, uh, not courses, but um, seminars or something for, for professors and students, basically teaching them how to... Um, how to use these, well, gender, gender pronouns is just one part of it, but it's, it's part of this entire, um, this t- entire kind of movement, social warrior, social justice warrior movement that is totally focused on these kind of topics. So I think maybe we'll get into that today. Does anyone have any thoughts to start out with on that? Well, um, let's see. I don't know. I I was thinking about all this this morning, and I was thinking that you know you mentioned um, that this is a kind of authoritarian uh, uh, 
mindset or uh, or social influence that uh, that we're being subject to right now. And it, it occurred to me that, in a sense, uh, it's it's all part of uh, the larger kind of um, trend or or uh, or things that we see developing even in geopolitics. Uh, you know, if, if we have the militarization of police, uh, this is the militarization of, of thought police, uh, in the West, uh, where, you know, you're, you're not only subject to, uh, police kind of, um, encroaching on your rights when you're driving down the road, but you have this other kind of element involved now where, uh, you are going to be punished or chastised or uh, or considered a um, a bad person uh, if you refuse to acknowledge all of these ridiculous politically correct uh, ideas and so uh, we're seeing an incredible amount of uh, pressure uh, being put on people who uh, haven't been um, acclimated or or uh, or brainwashed into this uh, new way of thinking that we're seeing here and um, I think it's it's just further hystericizing uh, the entire kind of Western uh, population um, so for me it just seems like the other side of the coin it, it just seems like a well, a two-pronged uh, approach to um, to subjugating people in both uh, you know, literal ways, uh, social rights, but also with their minds type of brainwashing. I mean, I mean, this kind of like, uh, is kind of a Cassandra type thing. I mean, many years ago when the people came up with the idea of a hate crime, a lot of people said, well, you know, you probably shouldn't define crime that way. I mean, assault is assault doesn't matter if the person is of any particular kind of bent because how do you prove that the person did it out of hate instead of just irregular old anger? You know, that's the person looked at me wrong and so I punched him and then suddenly it becomes a hate crime. And they said, look, this gets thought crime in the back door into the court system, right? Because it plays hell with men's raid. It plays hell with the idea of how do you prove someone's intent to do a crime? And when you define that crime as hate, which is itself an emotion, which is a form of thought and you criminalize it and everyone said look you don't want to do this what's going to happen they said and everyone said no 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 this will never happen they said eventually they're just going to start adding more and more ridiculous things to those crimes right until the point is where they can then ban any kind of thoughts by defining them as hate speech and hate crimes so this is what people were saying you know many many years ago and now we're seeing it kind of today with the sort of definition of basically if you, if a person asks you to use a specific set of pronouns of which there are a, a very large number, depending on how they identify, if you then do not use those pronouns, right, you have actually committed a hate crime in a sense. You've, you've, you have committed hate speech. You have denied them dignity. Now, the question is, is, did you do it because you forgot the complex? I mean, so let's say they identify as an LGBTQ plus other kin and their pronouns are like worm self and worms a and stuff like that. And then you forget to do that. Well, suddenly they could then go and accuse you 
of intentionally denying them dignity, and then you could be taken up between, before the uh, Canadian Court of Human Rights, right? And then you could be charged with a fine if you don't pay the fine. Fines are very stiff in the hundreds, $200,000 range. If you can't or don't pay the fine, then somebody comes to your house and actually arrests you for not paying the fine. So it's a, it's a way to directly criminalize something through the back door because, well, they're saying, well, you only get a fine, but actually if you don't pay the fine, then you get you know, into all kinds of trouble. So, so these are some of the problems with this stuff where people kind of don't realize that they've, they've solved a series of problems in society of getting thought crime passed and getting uh, <clears throat> a way to penalize and, uh, and criminalize speech by not criminalizing it directly, but then saying, oh, no, this is all part of a separate human rights thing. It's just a tribunal. But that tribunal is not the adversarial system. It's a group of people who are supposedly educated in the, you know, sort of gender identity uh, and racial identity politics, and they're going to decide your case. So it's, it's, it's like a people's committee for, you know, basically thought crime, mm-hmm. and they're going to punish you. And if you don't, if you don't submit to their will, then you actually will, could end up, there's a, there's a direct line to where you could end up being shot by a police officer or taken to prison and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the big issues that Jordan Peterson had with Bill C-16 was that it basically said that a person has a right to identify as anything they want to, right? So a man can identify as a woman and a woman can identify as a man. Well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Okay, but the problem is, is the language was made such that Everybody who's like non-binary, everyone who's like gender blender, everyone who's, you know, into this, everyone who's other kin or all these other weird identities, they're also included in the law and conceivably, like very conceivably, not even sort of like under dispute, they could complain to the Human Rights Council and charge you with, with, with hate crime. You see? So that's the problem that he had with Bill C-16 was that the language was so ambiguous that, you know – how are you going to say that, you know, anybody can say anything. They can identify any way that they want to. There's no, there's no more gender categories. It's basically legislated, complete identity politics. And that was kind of his basic problem. Mm-hmm. And Just to clarify, this, this bill is now, is now law in Canada. As far as yes. I understand, I think it, yeah, it passed. It just passed on Thursday. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a number of questions. Um, what is non-binary? Okay, so um, human beings are a sexually dimorphic species, right? Biologically speaking. Girls and guys. <laughs> Boys and girls, yeah, male right. and female, you know. <sighs> so somebody came along and had the brilliant idea to say, well, actually, um, s- gender is socially constructed. So there was this theory that came out you know, quite some time ago that said gender is socially constructed. And eventually somebody had the bright idea of saying that not only gender in the sense of the performative nature of gender, but gender in the sense of biological gender. That's also a social construct, right? So, I mean, it's nonsense. It's complete insanity, right? A person who says that is insane. Right. So when, you're, when you identify as non-binary, you are neither male nor female. You're not even on a binary spectrum. It's not like left here, right there. You're just whatever you say you are. And this is being allowed as a legal category in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Okay. Not, not yeah. just in Canada and, and, and the, the, at the forefront of this is our U.S. kind of uh, states and cities and 
local legislation and stuff like what is it? New York City has twenty eight or twenty nine different thirty one thirty one different thirty one genders in New York City. So recognized genders right. in New York City. So what is other kin? So other kin. So eventually, what happened is the people decided that not only is is gender performative, that is that like you're performing an act, you're acting out gender. But actually, race is a gender, and race is performative, but even species is performative, too. So the idea that we're human beings is totally false. It's all arbitrary. So actually, you can be any species you want. So if you identify as other kin, you can identify as any kind of, you can identify as a cat, you can identify as a worm, you can identify as a squirrel, uh, chimera. I'm starting to get cross-eyed here. Are you serious? No, no, yeah, this is part of the LGBTQ+, which is includes can other I, kin. Can I identify there, as a squirrel? Well, I mean, I know where it comes from. I don't think I should explain because that goes into a very deep and, That's not and serious weird question. hole. What was the serious question? Can I identify as a squirrel? I, absolutely. I identify as an attack on my my pron- my preferred pronouns are his Apache-ness, <laughs> his Hellfire missile firingness, uh, winged destructionness, things like that. You know. And if I fail to address you as such, uh, it's a hate crime. You, uh, it's um, abuse. It's denying me the dignity that is uh, afforded to all Apache attack helicopters the world over. And and you. There are others like you. There are there are others like me who identify as an attack helicopter and. Uh, we're a small but very relevant minority within a minority, and uh, stop oppressing me. And and if you're uh, an employee in New York uh, and you don't get identified correctly, you can be fined up to two hundred and fifty million dollars. Two hundred fifty million. Not addressed. Yeah, two hundred. I'm going to New York City right now as a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anybody doesn't you recognize, you can be it, fined one billion dollars. Well, just a couple I mean, points. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Harrison. You go okay. ahead, Harrison. You go ahead. Okay. Well, um, yesterday, yesterday morning, uh, Jordan Peterson he did a he participated in a debate at his university with um, um, uh, like a legal expert, constitutional law expert at the university, and then a, kind of a um, a university representative of the kind of LGBTQ plus position from the University of British Columbia. And one of the the points that the legal um, participant made was it i mean being a lawyer and looking at this kind of stuff she said oh well here's what the law actually says and here's you know the limits of the law and stuff like that and you know i won't go into all the details that she said but she she basically um that her position was that the law is very restricted it's very tough to bring these kind of things to court and um and really if you look at the language of of what the what would actually be charged in a court um it only applies to like government employees, people working, you know, so uh, or government employers and their employees, and people working in um, kind of what was it, uh, public institutions, I think, and that they what it, what it came down to was that people had to either they had four choices they could or or three choices they could use he or she if if the uh, you know if that's what the person identified as or they could use they or um, the person's name if they were unsure. So that's that's what her position was. Um, what she what she ignores and what both of these um, other participants in the debate ignored was the thing that Jason mentioned about the thought crime element that Peterson was actually concerned about. And he brought up um, Solzhenitsyn, uh, his Gulag Archipelago, which 
Um, I mean, you could you could easily just talk about ponderology as well, or look at any kind of authoritarian <clears throat> society or government. And the way it works is that you have these laws, which at first glance it looks like, okay, well they can. This is just you know very limited to this to this thing, but it opens the door. And that's what he's concerned about is because this this law can now be misapplied, and not even um, uh, and even if the the actual um, like charges that are brought against certain people may be um, limited for a period of time to exactly what like this legal expert said they would be limited to. Um, Peterson's response was, "Well, look at me. I'm an example of what's happening right now outside of the law." Because this is just how this this his case dealt specifically with how his university is dealing with him because of this law, regardless of if, of if he's ever going to go to to a federal court about it or a constitutional court or whatever the the, the means is to, to do this, and he he faces the the prospect of being fired or losing his clinical license potentially, and it's right. it's this it's this social um um. It's the social consequences that happen in the in the wider sphere of society that are actually you know, probably the first place where this sort of um, um, like um, what's well, the word persecution like, yeah these precedents get set where where an, an entirely different um, phenomenon happens that isn't necessarily within the the like the word of the law <coughs> that creates this climate of of persecution and of real kind of persecution, and, this not, and in this case against free speech. So you have these people, like I mean, and if you look at Peterson, he's a total anti-authoritarian, and yet these uh, the people that are attacking him the most are the people that are allegedly fighting for social justice and all these great things and equality and blah blah blah, and they're the ones attacking him when all he's saying, I mean, he has nothing against trans people or any of these people. He's just saying, look yeah. at the potential, look at the consequences of where, of, and look at what direction this is taking us. And no one is listening to them. He's getting zero support from from anyone, um, like publicly in his in his university or elsewhere. I mean, all his support is just coming from people like students or or even other professors who support him but won't say it publicly. And it's just a total repeat of this whole authoritarian shift that we've seen throughout history. Yeah, I mean, it's not even about so, the law I, I mean, at that point. It's just, you know, you get that idea into people's minds, and then, you know, now this guy is getting attacked for this. You know, he's he's just being persecuted. He's not even being in the legal system. Mm-hmm. You know, they introduce the idea, and then people are just having, you know, the standard reaction to it. Well, what are the problems, I think, that um, comes up when you start talking about free speech is that a lot of people don't realize that, that uh, throughout, uh, especially American history, but but Western Western history, uh, all of these things have been looked at from multiple angles, and a lot of people have said a lot of very important things about it. So, I mean, I would encourage people to read like uh, "On Liberty" by John Stuart Mill, uh, John Milton's Areopagitica, um, Thomas Paine's Introduction to the Age of Reason. And to kind of understand that, that that when you're talking about free speech, you're not always talking about what you can say in a legal sense. You're talking about um, <clears throat> you're talking about people's right to listen to certain ideas, people's right to express and interrogate reality. But you're also talking about another thing called prior restraint, this idea of self censorship, the fear of being prosecuted in and of itself. The law may never actually be used, but the presence of the law 
acts to make people self-censor, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, these laws have a tendency to <clears throat> be passed under the guise of, well, this just applies to institutions of a certain character. And eventually someone comes along and they expand the institutions of character. But what that does is it puts the onus on employers to basically threaten to fire or uh, or, or, or uh, chastise employees on behalf of the government, which then causes fear in the employee, which then causes them to self-censor themselves, right? So prior restraint, they, you know, you, you, you can't know if something is right or wrong until you say it. So you can't have somebody sitting there thinking, is this going to be uh, the thing that's going to get me in trouble? If not, I won't say it, you know, so you can't mm-hmm. expect people to, to, to censor themselves before you have interrogated the idea in, in public discourse, and so this is, this is a very core problems with, with freedom of speech and freedom of speech law. So when, when a lawyer makes that argument, right? I mean, she proves her utter and complete ignorance on the concept of, of, uh, of a freedom of speech and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the legal discussions that have taken place for at least the last 200 years on the topic, right? So, I mean, the fact that this law only applies to institutions just means that they are attempting a backdoor censorship of free speech by basically um, putting the onus on uh, institutions, which then, uh, on behalf of the government, as a, as a proxy for the government, censor the speech of their employees. And so the government sort of says, well, we're not doing it. It's not us. But, but of course, it is them because they are the source of the threat. They are the, they are the men with the guns. Um, and, and so that's one of the main, main issues with that. Yeah, and... Peterson actually brought up a, a great example right at, near the beginning of this debate. He he quoted a letter that was sent to him by a, another professor that he knows, saying that this professor had uh, a class about these issues, talking about I think it was specifically about gender pronouns. But um, long story short, at the end of the or partway through this discussion with his class, he asked, "Well, is everyone not saying, or how many people here are not speaking up because they are afraid that?" Um, um, they might be, um, well, what was the term? Well, they were afraid to speak up, to, to say their opinions on this matter, and every single kid in the class put up their hand. They were all afraid to say what they thought about the issue because they were afraid maybe they might offend someone or they would be um, somehow labeled because of their opinions. So right there... Well, the, people it, don't realize... Go ahead. Well, yeah, right there is exactly what I was saying, but people don't realize... Until you start looking at it, you don't realize the degree to which Western civilization right now has been enthralled to a series of kind of social ideologies that actually do very strongly limit your speech and your ways of expressing yourself. And it's starting to come to the forefront and people are kind of realizing that they, they have, they've had this nebulous feeling for quite some time that things are not quite right and maybe they don't agree with the way things are going, but they've really been afraid to speak out, and they kind of are now getting a, a lesson in, in 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 oppression right now. They're getting a lesson in, in, in a repressive uh, social ideology. I kind of <clears throat> I tend to think that uh, we've kind of discussed this before, but that this kind of thing might might backfire, um, even despite the, even despite uh, the fact that laws may be passed supporting. Uh, the rights of uh, non-binary, gender blender people, etc., other kin, whatever. Despite the fact that laws may be passed, uh, the fact that this is being pushed by from whatever 
place from whatever um, area in the sense of if it's just the members of this kind of very minority community or if it's being aided and abetted by some people in positions of power, uh, it doesn't really matter because this is something that I can really imagine uh, would ultimately backfire on these people. Um, it's not a good idea when you're a tiny minority to try and uh, impose anything on the majority uh, and call them, uh, tell them they're being abusive and criticize them for things that aren't really abusive. And uh, it kind of, I suppose it speaks to the maybe the generalized ignorance of these people who are in, in these minority communities that they don't see this. Uh, of course, the idea of hate speech has been around for quite a long time, but it's it, for me anyway. It's most closely associated with uh, with uh, anti-Semitism and and mm -hmm. Jews, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's where I've heard it most uh, uh, referred to hate speech and hate crimes and things like that. And I mean, you just have, I suppose people should just take a, these people, if they were sensible, they would take a leaf out of the, or take a look at Jewish history and what happens in human society, not making, you know, a judgment one way or another on it, but just saying, stating what is, is that in, in human society, whenever one group of people sets themselves apart uh, and quite conspicuously sets themselves apart and there's some over overtones of being better than or chosen or special it's just not a good idea you know and um I, but i suppose like i said it speaks to the ignorance of these people that they don't see that they could be setting themselves up maybe they're full of kind of bravado or they're emboldened by the fact that there's laws being passed that they think they're they're getting support and stuff but for me anyway these people i mean i watched the peterson um interview on some canadian tv show i can't remember the name there was several other people um, all more or less, more or less against him. Um, and in that in, in that uh, debate between them or discussion between them, one prof, one uh, lecturer at a at a university in Toronto who was not sure what he was. He was he was at, anyway. He was defending. He was he gives lectures on uh, uh, gender diversity and all this kind of stuff. We fully in support of it, and he didn't like Peterson. Um, but he made the reference to it was either him or someone else. Anyway, someone of them, one of them made a reference to the idea that it was uh, similar to the way racism against black people in, in America, um, and that this was more or less the same uh, situation uh, in essence that they were being discriminated against. But I mean, that really stuck out for me as not true at all and there's no equivalency between um, the way black people were treated and the way uh, these people are being treated because um, black people were I mean I think Jason described it best uh, on our forum actually where he said that black people were being discriminated against so that certain words certain uh, racially abusive words uh, for black people were were proscribed, as in, you know, you're not allowed in, in polite company and civil society, whatever you want to call it, you should not use these words against black people. Uh, but it's kind of flipped with this uh, gender bender, I don't know if there's a term we can use for it, anyway, for this movement, um, where, where they are they're prescribing um, words that must be used for them. 
it's very different. You know, it's almost like a an inversion of the of the racism against blacks, for example, uh, from that in that situation. So, f- for me, these people are really are they're extremists. You know, I mean, and I'm, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but I don't necessarily not mean it in a pejorative sense. <laughs> Um, these people are extremists because for me it's it's certainly a an extremist thing for one minority tiny group of people to suddenly attempt to force on the rest of the population uh, mm. that they start mangling the English language just to make themselves feel better or to define who they are that that's regardless of the rights or wrongs of it or whether there's any truth in it or <clears throat> it's about how they feel whatever. The point is that this is an extremist position to take to try and change something so radically and uh, normal society, normal quote-unquote, i.e. heterosexual society, let's say, will invariably have a, ultimately have a bad reaction to, to that kind of extremism being forced on them. And I think most people do see it as extremism. That's why we're, or extremists, that's why we're having this discussion because it's just like, what the hell is going on? This is ridiculous, you know? Um, well, yeah. Well, there, there's... I don't know. I mean, there's a wizard behind this particular curtain, mm-hmm. you know? It's like if you look at this sort of situation, it seems just so out of left field. It's like, oh, where did this come from? Oh, why are these people doing it? They can't be serious. Why is anyone taking them seriously? Mm-hmm. Who's backing them? Who's supporting this stuff? Uh, where does the, what's, what are the ideological underpinnings of these theories? And, you know, there is actually, sincerely, there is a man behind the curtain in this particular case, I mean, I'm going to have to say the words. It's, George it's, Soros. No, it's it's cultural Marxism, right? It's the Frankfurt School. I mean, Marx is still alive. <clears throat> you know, it's Antonio Gramsci and and the prison notes. I mean, this is this is exactly what was discussed. I mean, this is Jacques Derrida and his his sort of critical theory and deconstruction of of everything in life. The the explosion of categories like male and female and even like human being uh, for the purposes of obliterating. Uh, social values in order to replace them. And I mean, they talked about it openly. Gramsci sort of talks about it. He says what will be required is a cultural march, uh, a a march through institutions to basically erode and explode all of the um, uh, cultural values in order for them to be replaced by what he saw as the the true and good uh, sort of Marxist values. The reason why the the, the workers of the world didn't unite was because they were sort of inundated by sort of false cultural values of, you know, Christianity and nationalism. I'm not, I'm not I have sure. a question. I have I'm a question sure for you, Jason. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, when, when you mentioned wizard, um, a, a different thought came to mind. And that is that, that these types of uh, new thought crime legislation and, and thinking um, kind of induce in, uh, you know, the rest of the people who, who wouldn't necessarily feel offended, uh, who are, or who are confused by all of this, as, as Joe mentioned, um, eventually I think it will it will cause a great deal of resentment and anger uh, towards uh, this small minority that that seems to be responsible for uh, this crazy making legislation. So what I'm wondering is, separate from you know the works of Derrida and and uh, and these ideological Marxist um, Ideas. Uh, when you say wizard, I mean, is it is it possible that we have uh, people in the think tanks of social engineering in the West who are just thinking of all of the ways that they might further divide uh, Western society uh, in a malevolent well, that's way? That's what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> that's just who I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the underpinning theory behind. I mean, these people like they're not so blasé, right? As to be like they're not button pushers on society. Like most of them believe in the rightness of what they do. Mm-hmm. Like they're like they think that they're good. They think that they're they're this. This is necessary. This is all part of the noble life. This is all part of what makes the system work. Right. These people are not sort of, uh, you know, so mundane as to be like, oh, I just get up and go to a job and I'm, oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to set some groups against this, some other groups and they, and like, they have no reason for it. I mean, they, they, they want to do it because it's part of, uh, their, their plan, their intellectual projection into the future. Like they're trying to create something out of it. They're not, they're not just doing it just cause, you know, I mean, they're not just anarchists. They're, they really believe these ideologies. They're basically just projecting onto other people um, their own feelings. I mean, they're, they've felt marginalized, Absolutely. and in turn, they just, you know, instead of really taking a look at that and saying, well, you know, hey, this is how I feel, let me see what I can do about that, um, they just project it onto other folks and, you could, and end up getting the, the same backlash. And you could really see this in the in the debate if, if you check it out. You can just search on YouTube um, – um, Jordan Peterson debate, and it should be the first result that comes up <clears throat> because the two people that he's debating against, well, the one in particular, the one from UBC, um, she doesn't respond to any of the actual, um, you know, concerns that Peterson has. Instead, she, well, she eventually, she eventually ends up, well, she starts out saying that essentially I can't, you know, I really don't want to be here. And I think that, uh, Peterson, she uses the example of this famous debate between David Suzuki and, <clears throat> and this other guy, can't remember his name, who did this, who did some of the research on um, blacks and IQ, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Crick, maybe 30 years uh, ago. Watson. It was, uh, yeah, uh, Crick. it was Watson, I think. Well, one of these guys and, and she, and Suzuki had basically said, you know, something like, um, I don't even want to distinguish, you know, this guy by talking to him. He's like, he's not even worth debating, but I'm going to, but I'm doing it, you know, just because, uh, you know, it's, it has to be said. That's the line that she took. And by the end of the debate, she, she denounced what he said as hate propaganda. And her main, the main point she was kept coming back to is that, you know, trans people are, ha, you know, have lived through such horrible, uh, you know, repression and, um, there's just they're so mistreated, and that like that was essentially her main point, which which you can tell she's totally well, maybe she appears totally sincere about that, and you can understand why that would be the case. But at the same time, she's totally missing the point because that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that it's such a great thing that trans people in specific are, um, um, you know, treated poorly in some way. He's not saying that at all. He's strictly talking about, you know, what we've been talking about, this whole authoritarian um, mindset that comes about from it. But she, but they, she either can't or won't see that aspect of it, and it's just focusing on this kind of social justice, justice aspect of it to the complete exclusion of any other way of looking at it or any kind of other consequence of looking at it. And that's, where, that's really scary when you look at the, the, the kind of ideological well, ideologue um, aspect of what these people are doing that they are so totally focused and so so uh they're so um true believers in in their cause 
that it totally blinds them to any of the negative repercussions of what they might be doing and how they're doing it. And just one one tiny example of that is, that Peterson gives is the the education um, programs that they're giving, um, like professors in universities. He said, well, not only do, is there no evidence that this actually works, this kind of uh, you know education, the evidence suggests that it has the opposite effect. It increases... Um, um, victimhood. Well, not vic- not necessarily victimhood, but it increases the negative feelings towards these groups that you're trying to educate out of these people. Mm-hmm. It actually right. has the opposite effect of what they're trying to do. Right. But they, and this is the same thing that Timothy Wilson was talking about in his book. Uh, um, what was the the one about writing exercises? The strangers. Strangers. No, the one after redirect. that. Yeah, redirect. Oh, redirect. Yeah. And because yeah. he, he he the main point that he makes in that book is that there are so many ideas about how. Um, how either experiments or procedures to to have a certain effect on people like personal psychological or social effect and this might be um you know to to cut down on teenage pregnancy for example and there are all these ideas that have that people have and all these programs that exist but the problem is that none of them are actually tested and there's no evidence that they actually work and it often often it's the case that they actually have the opposite effect and that the mm-hmm. that if you're going to to put any programs like this into effect, you have to know that they work. Otherwise, you're doing this massive <laughs> social experiment that can be can mm-hmm. go totally wrong. And so, in that right. book, he gives the ones that actually do work, and they're often counterintuitive. Like you don't think that they'd necessarily work like that. Like right. one way, I think one way to to cut down on teen pregnancy is to get people to volunteer as kids, and like that's all it takes. It's like you don't have mm-hmm. you don't nece- you don't have to have classes about all these kinds of birth control or you know. How horrible teenage pregnancy is! You 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 go around it in a, a kind of roundabout way, and that's that's actually what works. But people are so ignorant and so so fervently attached to their ideology and their victimhood in a lot of cases for the people that are actually coming at this at this from you know their own perspective of of being persecuted in some way. They have the total well, opposite really effect. It actually makes so. What really worked? In- go ahead. I was just going to say what really worked in that case was teaching the kids some kind of sense of responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And what Peterson says, what Peterson says about for about um, like the the proven method for um, for getting rid of like personal prejudices against certain groups is to interact with those groups, and it's that simple. Like if you've never seen a black person before and you go and actually meet black people, chances are, you know, that's going to work. You're not going to be afraid or hateful of black, pe- black people anymore. There's example, an example I like to bring up of there was that, this guy, I think he was in South Carolina um, a year or two ago, who went and shot up a mosque. And uh, luckily no one was hurt, but, uh, you know, he fired several shots into it because he just hated Muslims. He was terrified of Muslims. And he was arrested and he was charged. I'm pretty sure he went to jail. Um, and when he was released... He went to meet the people at the mosque, and he talked to these people. It was the first time he'd ever talked to a Muslim before, and he was—he had this kind of like revelation. You could see interviews with him, and he's crying because he could not believe that these were actually good people, and they treated him so well, and they welcomed him in, into the mosque, and he totally changed just from. You know, I mean, prison probably had something to do with it—the fact that he was caught and he had to do this, but just the just by the by very. By the very fact of just meeting these people, 
his total outlook changed. And that's really, that's what works. It's not going to work through these kinds of legislation and, you know, education programs, which are really indoctrination programs. And this is what, what Lobachevsky talked about in Ponderology. I mean, it's the, it's this, it's, it's a total authoritarian shift that's been going on in Western civilization and we don't even see it. I mean, that was the first thing I thought of, you know, just like, oh, we're going to go educate the professors on how to talk now. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, great. Well, you mentioned uh, Ponderology, Harrison. There's a passage here um, by Lobachevsky that sort of speaks to this. Uh, and he says, America, especially the USA, has reached a nadir for the first time in its short history. <coughs> Gray-haired Europeans living in the U.S. today are struck by the similarity between these phenomena and the ones dominating Europe at the times of their youth. Uh, the emotionalism dominating individual, collective and political life, as well as the subconscious selection and substitution of data in reasoning are impoverishing the development of a psychological worldview and leading to individual and national egotism. The mania for taking offense at the drop of a hat provokes constant retaliation, taking advantage of hyper-irritability and hypocriticality on the part of others. So he seemed to have nailed it. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. Like, you know, it seems like the LGBTQ plus group seems to be developing that as like a positive value, this hyper reactivity mm -hmm. towards anything said, where I think anyone with kind of like a reasonable outlook would be like, oh, that's really not a good way to be. Mm -hmm. You know, have a thick skin, just kind of like deal with it, be pragmatic. Well, and that gets back to the, the precious snowflake thing that the health and wellness show talked about at the very beginning of this debate this debate that i've been talking about um the moderator for the debate or might not have been the moderator but whoever introduced the debate um made sure to preface the talk by saying that you know during this debate there are going to be some things that are being discussed that might might be offensive to some that'll definitely cause some 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 negative feelings. So we've got people waiting outside of the venue. So if, if just in case anyone needs some support, mm. so the <laughs> well, said, they said the same thing uh, that that lecturer, the the one that lectures on uh, gender diversity or whatever, uh, on the show, which was several days ago before the debate you're talking about, where Peterson was on on a Canadian TV show. At the end of it, that person appealed to the uh, the host of the show, saying. Um, can I just give give out a few websites here because there's going to be some people who have listened to this <coughs> who, who are who are feeling pretty bad, you know. And she just it was like an hour long show, and there was nothing. I mean, the only one who would have been saying anything that would have offended anybody in any way would have been Peterson, but he wasn't. He was simply arguing what he always argues, which is this isn't this passing of laws to to criminalize people for for this kind of thing is 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 ridiculous and what shouldn't happen. It's it's a very bad thing, but apparently that's enough. To uh, to make a lot of uh, uh, non-binary etc. people uh, feel very bad, uh, go into a bit of a meltdown, and need some kind of psychological help after watching a one-hour show where they simply listen to opinions, an opinion that that uh, that was not the same as their own. Well, and what's really happened is that people have turned into such like thin-skinned sheep to the point where if this is the if. If this is what provokes people, like uh, uh, a relatively tame debate dealing with issues that really, um, like comparatively, don't have very much global significance, then you know what mm. does that say about our culture? If you like, think about just the absurdity of comparing 
like just that statement at a debate or at a lecture with the total um, apathy or just ignorance about what's actually going on in the world Mm -hmm. where no one is saying anything about the Middle East, about (laughs) Libya or Syria, or just the, 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 the imperial um, status quo about what goes on on this planet. It's just insane. But that's why there's so much apathy, because people are so sensitive, maybe, you know, of course, there's other aspects where people are denied information, and particularly in the U.S., media <coughs> does not gives a very slanted view of, uh, of of what's happening around the world to, to the American people. But it strikes me, I mean, we watched that um, you know, several years ago when it came out, uh, Adam Curtis's Century of the Self mm-hmm. um, documentary on the BBC about, you know, going back to... 1930s and Edward Bernays and basically trying to encourage basically a, a cult of the individual amongst American people and stuff all with this supposedly idea of you know, creating, you know, getting people to buy more stuff and all this kind of stuff, you know, and it's almost like, you know, 80, 90 years after that happens, after that supposedly that, that process is, is, is set in motion, you have the situation where you have examples uh, in, in these uh, non-binary individuals where it is just a, an example of consummate um, kind of self-referencing and self-absorption and absorption with one's own feelings and ideas to the exclusion of everything else. It's a rejection of, of just external reality, you know, because, I mean, I'm sure there are solutions to this, as you were discussing, discussing Harrison about how to deal with this in, a, in an appropriate way. Um, but there's a kind of bottom line as well if for me anyway if those if those ideas or theories about how to deal with it appropriately and to the benefit of everybody didn't work the bottom line is that um we don't live in an ideal world human beings are very much a mixed bag they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and if you're born into a world that is populated overwhelmingly by binary people, I heterosexual I, males and females, and if you're a tiny minority that's born into such a world and you are, for, for whatever reason, by nature of your birth or whatever, fate or destiny, whatever you want to call it, you find yourself somewhere in the middle and you realize that, that uh, the fact of your, of your nature in that way is, is kind of shocking and seen as strange and aberrant and scary or whatever to the vast majority of people, then um, you would do well to take stock of that reality and just, I suppose, deal with it, uh, adjust uh, and do whatever is necessary to protect yourself, you know, and not insist that your difference must be held up and must be accepted by everybody else, you know. Uh, I mean, it'd be very silly for a... For a, a a chicken or something, or a cat, let's say, to, to walk into a, a dog compound and, and say, you know, well, I'm different, and all these dogs got to accept it and respect me for it, you know? I'm not saying it's that extreme, but that's just a, an example, you know? I mean, it's it's a foolish thing to do, to to go and, uh, as a minority, to go, to, to insist that the majority accept your accept your will. I mean, I think history is, has a lot of examples of that being a really bad idea for these people, but and we're kind of seeing it right now with uh, boycott, divest sanctions, where it's become a kind of a uh, a hate crime to even 
be critical of Israeli policies. You, you can't even go in that direction without being labeled an mm. anti-Semite. So we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing this on a, on a number of different levels as well. And, um, you know, one just seems to be reinforcing the other in a, in a kind of an offhanded way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've, got a, we've got a call on the line. Good afternoon, everybody. Jason Best here in Cincinnati. How are you? Hi, Jason. Hey, Jason. Hi. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure who was speaking just last, but uh, they were actually transitioning into kind of uh, the reason for my call here. Um, and that's just how disturbing it's become uh, f- from this climate of, of everything you've described, from the, from the gender politics to how it even relates to uh, the race thing and, uh, you know, third wave feminism, even all this sort of thing. Uh, but what's concerning me is that they're demonizing not just those who don't dis- who don't agree with them completely, but they're demonizing the having of the conversation, uh, it seems, to the point to where just having this conversation alone would be considered by many to be, you know, sexist or misogynist or, or transphobic or um, racist. I, I, it seems to apply to almost all the different uh, sides of the spectrum of where we're seeing this ideology creep into everybody. I was just wondering if you all had any comments on that. You forgot trans misogynist. Uh, That's Jason's comment. (laughs) You trans misogynist, you. How dare you come on here? That's an interesting point, Jason. That's an interesting point because I was just thinking earlier um, when when our Jason here was saying how this came out of left field, it's like it crept crept up on people because they were enjoying having this conversation on the QT for the most part and in maybe the halls of academia. And next thing you know, I'm like watching the news and Canada has passed this law. I might have heard about it before once or twice, but really the first time I know about it, it's a law. Well, the thing is, is, is this cultural war started a long time ago, obviously. And I mean, I, I suppose the first kind of, big shot that was fired in the war. I, the, the biggest one, I guess, uh, was probably like Gamergate when that, when that thing kind of hit in 2014. Uh, that was the kind of the real start of the, the, the hysterization of everything, the internet uh, offense culture and the internet uh, harassment stuff. And I mean, some people went to the UN and, you know, they did all this stuff. So can you briefly explain Gamergate? Briefly? In 20 words or less. <laughs> uh, 20 words or less, Jesus Christ. Um, it was basically a bunch of really hardcore nerds who are the type of people who would memorize baseball statistics and stuff like that, but had upgraded to computers. They're sort of like living in a basement, neck beards, and you know, sort of socially unacceptable people who uh, just like playing video games. And then some people came along and said, hey, all video games are sexist and evil. And they said, well, actually, as it turns out, we don't care because we're not going to get laid anyway. Um, so screw you. And then they were like, how dare you not take sexism and misogyny seriously? You're evil. And then they went to the UN, and then it kind of died down. That's the 20 words or less version. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I could sum it up any quicker than that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was a, it was essentially like you have to understand something about what's called third wave feminism and intersectional feminism before you can understand 
why any of these people are doing what they're doing and what the theory is, you know? Okay, 20 words or less. What is it? Uh, okay, so in the 1970s, someone came along uh, and realized that uh, feminism was mostly a bunch of sort of middle and upper middle class white women. And these were mostly like black and minority sort of women came along and they said, hey, you don't represent us. So they come up with their own sort of new fantastic brand, brand of feminism called intersectional feminism, which then classified everybody by the intersection of oppression. So uh, it was obviously gender, uh, race, uh, disabilities, and so on and so forth. So intersectional feminism means how feminism applies to the intersection of oppression. Um, and then, of course, that merged with what's called the Gloria Steinem wing of feminism, which is kind of like grievance feminism. So you got those two merged together and then... They went full Macintosh and decided that they could interpret oppression and racism and everything for every group of people on the planet and explain to them why they're oppressed and who's evil and what's going on. I don't know if that yeah. covers it. I mean, 20 words or less, you just <laughs> like, it's a complicated theory where it's basically like you get put onto a pyramid, you get put onto a hierarchy yeah. of, of oppression. So let's say for instance, obviously if you're a white male, you're, at the top and you are completely unoppressed. And then if you're a female, you have gender oppression. If you're a black female, you have gender and race oppression. If you're a black male, you have uh, race oppression, but not gender oppression. But then if you're disabled, then you have uh, ableist oppression. And if you're homosexual, a ableist. Oppression. Yeah. So ableism. So, so give us the worst case scenario then. Oh so I God. mean, the worst case scenario is if you're sort of like an African American, uh, uh, lesbian, uh, female to male transsexual with uh, low grade uh, lycanthropy. And if you're Jewish. Uh, and if you're, it, it also, if it also happens that you have a Jewish ancestor in there <laughs> and, 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 and a parent who has cancer, and then all of a sudden, and you've converted to Muslim uh, Islam along the way, then you're sort of like at the nexus of the most oppressed human being <laughs> on the face. So you get all the, all the stuff. And you get everything, right? You what do you get, though? You don't really get anything. Uh, well, they call it the Oppression Olympics, and what you get is within the within the social group that takes place inside of the sort of the intellectual uh, the, the intellectual sphere on college campuses and in academia, as well as in activism. You basically get to uh, call out everybody. Uh, for you get to have your way. You get you to want. have your way. Everyone's going to consider you. Everyone's going to walk on eggshells around you. Everyone's going to you know, right. give you stuff. Obviously, so slowly, slowly, you, you get power. You get a social power. Yeah. Right. You get a social power. You don't necessarily get completely like political power, mm -hmm. but you get, you get to be the, the sort of the queen bee in the room and everybody's sort of fawning over you. Everyone's, of course, checking their privilege and, and, you know, sort of, uh, checking in, their privilege. They're checking their privilege because obviously, like, say, for instance, if you're, um, disabled, then all the abled people in the room need to check their abled privilege and admit to you that they um, that they benefit from being healthy of of body, and therefore, you know, so they'll come up and say, "I realize that I'm blah blah blah," and they'll do this sort of mea culpa. You have to mea maxima culpa for my privileges. I'm white. I'm male. I'm able-bodied. I'm heterosexual, and all these different things. Mm. So, okay. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. So it's people not being considered enough, really. Uh, they, they feel they're not being considered enough and want to be considered more uh, when they're not real. It's not a real question of, I mean, that's not what life's about, about considering necessarily uh, one person over another or whatever based on arbitrary. Uh, well, I mean, well, what happened is after the, the sort of the various Equal Rights Acts were passed in the 60s, 
the big problem is, is that uh, feminism kind of lost a little bit of relevance. Everyone was like, well, you know, now it's not quite as bad as it used to be. So maybe we should uh, move on from this. And they were like, no, you don't understand. We, we know about oppression. And then they came up with this intersectional thing. So that kind of kept them relevant throughout the eighties and into the nineties. Hey, Jason. Yes, sir. Jason, Cincinnati. Uh, what, what's going on in Cincinnati? Is there any, uh, anything in, well, in regards to this topic? There is. I mean, Cincinnati has been traditionally considered a conservative city. Um, it's not so much anymore. Um, obviously, the county here overwhelmingly voted in uh, Clinton and, and most Democratic tickets. And we've seen some, you know, uh, general Trump protests in the streets, but it's the same kind of crew that protests just about anything that, that calls for protesting. Um, but as far as the actual viewpoints, I, yeah, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier, and, and you guys gave an excellent uh, other Jason, those were some excellent 22nd uh, summaries there, uh, some very complicated topics, but you're still seeing this trend towards uh, the suppression of even being able to have the conversation. I mean, when I think about who has been raising these types of topics over the last year or two that the general public has been exposed to, well, that's what they're now uh, redefining as the alt-right. And they're, I've seen this nonstop slew of articles uh, on the mainstream media, on the radio the last two weeks, associating the entire alt-right movement with uh, white nationalism and then being very clear to say that by white nationalism, they mean white supremacy. And you can see this uh, coordinated uh, push uh, almost globally to silence the conversation by, it's like they've kicked it into overdrive. You know, if, if you were even thinking about having this conversation, they want everyone to know that you are truly a racist, endogenous, um, you know, fill in all the blanks, uh, POS. Mm. So, um, that, so that's all uh, I'm really saying. It's obviously not a coincidence that, it's coincidence that we're having this discussion, and, and as you said, it's all over the media and stuff right now, immediately after the Trump, Trump election win, right? No, definitely not. I mean, we, we've seen it before, but, you know, now they all all these, you know, whether it be Soros or whether it just be uh, just kind of everybody suffering from the same uh, thing at once, uh, you're, you're seeing it almost get louder and more rampant and uh, more vocal and the polarization just seems to be increasing. People are having discussions now that they weren't having before instead of just hitting the snooze button had Clinton got elected for another decade. Um, mm. But am I really seeing any concerted attempt to understand? In, in some cases, yes. So I guess that is progress. But when you still look at what everyone's being brainwashed over the mainstream waves with, uh, that rhetoric is simply increasing in both intensity and volume, as far as I can see. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, the outright has been kind of really essential to the whole thing. I mean, probably like I guess the outright outpost right now is Breitbart. Uh, sort of Breitbart news and, and interestingly enough, and, Andrew Breitbart wrote a book, Righteous Indignation, in which he sort of talked about all of these things. And, you know, of course he has a chapter dedicated to what I mentioned before, the two words, cultural Marxism that are kind of important. And he said, Hey, this is kind of going on. And this is part of all involved in the, the formation of kind of the tea party and the alt-right and the, <clears throat> these generally traditional people. And what ended up happening is when there, there was big blow ups on the internet with, you know, sort of, you know, Gamergate and the sexodus and all this different stuff, the red pill, as they call it, uh, they kind of converged together and started a kind of a cultural war. 
And it was the first time that anyone had really kind of stood, stood up. And then that sort of spread out and uh, kind of basically became a giant grassroots movement of people who were starting to talk about and discuss these things and sort of take people seriously. So it was like a merging of the alt-right and the sort of what you could call like internet classical liberals and the people who were against atheism plus and, uh, you know, things like that on the internet, especially like on YouTube, on Twitter and Facebook. So there was this sort of, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube activism going on at the time. And that really is kind of the secret history of the Trumpocalypse. You know, I mean, there was the mainstream formation of the Tea Party and there was a general kind of movements in society that were against this. But it wasn't until people saw the success of a lot of the Internet movements that were going on like, you know, two or three years ago uh, that they started. People started to kind of come out of the, the their shell a little mm-hmm. bit and start saying, hey, actually, there's other people who agree with me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I agree with them. And, and then they all sort of, you know, formed together and it became a very dedicated movement of people sort of posting on blogs and posting on the internet. And, you know, Breitbart was coming fast and furious with a lot of articles. And, Mm. you know, that's where you get Ben Shapiro and and Milo Yiannopoulos, who are two kind of big alt-right speakers now um, that that, that get a lot of press and play. So Milo Yiannopoulos is gay. Well, I mean, he's fabulously gay and everybody loves (laughs) him. I mean, it sort of plays complete hell with the whole idea that conservatives and alt-writers are are anti-homosexual. They're completely not. What they want to know is, do you have conservative values? Do you have traditional conservative values? Um, and do you, that's really it. It doesn't really mean you can be gay and conservative, which is what Milo kind of proves in a sense. And he says, look, you know, he's, he's a conservative and he's even kind of a, a tiddly bit on the religious side. You know, he just recognizes he's like, Hey, I'm gay and I believe in God, <laughs> you know, look what I can do. Mm. <clears throat> But and, Twitter too. And Twitter kicked him off, you know, his platform and started that whole censorship, and not for anything that he posted, but for only things that his followers posted. Right, but that that got him. That got him on. You know, I think CNN that got him like interviewed, you know, by all the media outlets, and he was suddenly like a megastar at the Republican National Convention. He was being interviewed by all the the sort of alt-right and right-wing kind of presses and even like some conservative type Christians were going up to talk to him now because they were like, well, you know, if, if we got to have gays, we might as well have one like you, you know, Milo. And they do. I mean, he gets like awards from conservative uh, organizations, conservative Christian organizations. They invite him in because, you know, he, he, he's sort of fighting the fight for them. You know, he's sort of representing them and their, their sort of their legitimate interests because of course he's very down on, he, he personally is kind of very down on this whole uh, gay acceptance thing and gay pride parades and all that stuff and gay marriage. And he's like, Oh, this is all ridiculous. We were, we were having so much fun before this, <laughs> you know, that's, that's his whole sort of shtick. Mm, um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, speeches. they're good. <clears throat> his speeches are pretty good. I mean, he's a provocateur, so you have to get used to that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Jason, well, thanks for calling. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I'll free up the line for other people. Always good chatting with you guys. Thanks for another great show. Thanks, All right, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Take care. Bye. So what's getting back to, not to just be a, a kind of analysis and opinion show here. I mean, the um, one thing I recognize, and I suppose everybody should recognize, is that obviously people, obviously there has been discrimination uh, against uh, homosexuals. Uh, that's been kind of undone, at least from 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 what it used to be uh, in the last, you know, twenty years to a large extent. 
Um, and there is very likely to be discrimination or it's difficult to be someone who is gender fluid or non-binary or whatever who doesn't see themselves as don't feel like they're a man or a woman uh, somewhere in between not sure type of thing Those, that, that kind of a person is going to provoke uh, probably not the most positive reaction from the average person in the street so uh, you know these people that, this is what I think this is what actually makes this or has made all of this into an actual debate the fact that there is I mean, a lot of people obviously can recognize that life can be hard for these kind of for these kind of people. Uh, but then, okay, life's hard for everybody. Okay, we're not gonna not gonna put any value judgments on any, any of that. But at the same time, you can recognize that they are in a particular category and they do maybe get singled out for particular types of abuse that other people don't. So, I mean, that's the anchor of it, but. Go ahead. What are we going to say on that, Jason? This is a couple of things. First of all, it's like it's it's kind of like this this false presentation of the debate. I mean, I, I would say that two of two very well known members of the alt right are Blair White and Theron Meyer type of individuals who like are, are their their videos are often watched and, and visited by alt right people. They're both transsexual. They're they're male to female transsexuals. This whole thing is nobody actually has a problem. With transsexuality, they have a problem with identity politics. They have a, that's that's the problem that they have. Nobody has a problem with gay people. They have a problem well, with the politics. I'm not. I'm. I'm sure that's not uh, absolutely true. That there are people. Well, I mean, of course, there's going to be some people. But and for the to, majority, to what extent? I mean, if if you walk, you know, if well, you would expect like Blair White to be, you know, sort of complaining about a whole lot more sort of internet abuse if that were the mm, case. Not necessarily internet abuse, but abuse in real life type of thing. Right. You know, you know but, if a look, transgender look, look. person walks down into some town in Alabama or something like that, look, look, they're going to experience, and this is what they anchored in, right? They say that look, they should be accept, accepted look, wherever they go look, type of thing, look, like the average person. Look, this is bullshit. I've been beaten up probably about six or seven times just for being fat from the time I was like in sixth grade and up. Right. Right. When I was uh, 14 years old, there were some hicks in a truck that were in a big Dodge truck who drove off the road to try to hit me. And they hit me with the mirror. And as I just, I jumped out of the way into some bushes. Right. Mm. So this whole thing, like they're experiencing some sort of special miraculous, like, uh, suffering, mm. uh, you know, cry me a river because I've had plenty uh, myself. So right. I mean, yeah, I get that just being a fat dude. Right. Right, so this whole idea, yeah, there's a, there's there's assholes in the world, and I'm really sorry about it, and it sucks, but this doesn't require a giant uh, national political movement with state power to get done. You know, in society, you have to deal with people who are jerks sometimes. But I, saying that it represents the whole or it's a lot of people, mm. I don't buy it. And and you see it in a, a lot of these faked hate crimes that have been coming out. You know, the hijab grab and a lot of this graffiti that looks deceptively like it was probably painted by a left person because there wasn't enough graffiti for their taste. So they thought, well, this is what a Trump supporter would say. And, and, and the thing is, is, these people are not neo-Nazis necessarily. I mean, there's obviously a couple that may support. There's obviously a couple of KKK, but these groups are, are not as powerful as people rep represent them as, and they don't speak for the whole group of people. Yeah, I don't buy it. I just don't, don't buy this idea that there's all this hate being directed yeah. towards uh, uh, transsexuals. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's hard to, hard to know 
for sure, you know. But and that's one of the things they'll say. You can't say anything about me or whatever because you don't know what it's like to be me, blah blah. But that's true for everybody, I suppose, uh, depending on the person, you know, yeah. regardless of who you are. But uh, so, in theory, these people, one solution here is for these people to just um, to just uh, suck it up. I mean, that's what everybody else has to do, right? You know, so yeah, kind of suck it up, walk it off. Yeah, mean, everyone who doesn't have a populist movement behind them. Don't go out of your way to actually provoke uh, negative reactions. I mean, I'm not going to go into a Muslim community or a Jewish community and say things that are going to provoke negative reactions just because I, I think so. I mean, this is part of that, the thing that we keep going back to, which is that these people are rejecting reality, rejecting some basic facts and tenets of reality as a human being in this planet. There are certain things uh, you can and can't do and should and should not do if you want to preserve uh, you know, kind of, if you want to keep body and soul together, there's certain things you should not do. If you want to be happy, if you want to be content, if you want to have a decent life, there's certain things you should be aware of and you should not do. And they are the facts of life that you are born into. You, when you're born, when you're old enough to understand the world, you should slowly progressively start uh, taking stock of what the conditions of this life are, who I am, how I feel about those conditions, and whether or not, and decide then what you're going to do and not going to do all of it based in really self-preservation and giving yourself a happy life. Now, these people, these, these you know, binary, non-binary, whatever people. Uh, Don't forget you know, the other kins. The other kins and people like that are, you know, they seem to be going out of their way to actually make life difficult for themselves and then complaining to society that it's society's fault. How they get attention for It's it? society's fault that they, that, that they are having a bad time when they have gone out of the way. There was one example in that show I was talking about that I watched the other night where this uh, this lecture, you know, gender gender diversity le- lecture, whatever, was saying that these people, this isn't just about a uh, an issue, you know, a, a kind of an opinion issue or a, a feeling issue or my my political perspective issue or whatever. It's it's that these people actually have experienced real problems in their lives because of the discrimination against them. For example, and what he was citing was uh, the fact that they can't. Um, get a contract for a for an apartment, for example, because no, they can. They just can't get the right sex. They can't get the right sex or the right pronoun used. Uh, on they can't get Sri or Sir, Sir, Sir Zizer or Zay written on the contract uh, or on on other, any other document that they may, might need to get a job. So right. it's actually preventing them from getting housing and getting jobs. But that's it's like, not. well, how important is it for you to get a no. job and housing? And how important is it for you to be addressed by the right pronoun? Which is more important? If a job is more important, then give up the pronoun. Everybody has to make sacrifices <sighs> in life. But these people don't want to make sacrifices. They want everything their own way, apparently. They're bullshitting. They're and they're bullshitting just they're just going to turn people against them. I mean, like on that show with Jordan Peterson and the sort of trans professor, uh, the trans studies professor, the Canadian brought, I don't, I don't remember what the name of the show is, like Canada Today or whatever it was. You know, the, the guy who was talking said, oh, we, I have plenty of horrible statistics. They're just horrifying. Oh, they're so horrifying. They're so horrifying. So then the, the presenter says, well, why don't you read us one? The first one he picks, the worst one, is that trans students couldn't get transcripts from their university with their proper gender written on it. Mm-hmm. That is oppression. Right. right there. I'm sorry. I mean, You're just, so oppressed. I take it all back. 
Yeah. I take it all back. You, you're marginalized and oppressed. This whole thing, their problem is not that they can't get a place to live. It's that on the contract, they won't write female instead of male or male instead of female. Mm. Right. Because they'll write what's on the driver's license because they can't get a driver's license that has their chosen gender, uh, pronoun, chosen gender representation. And they only have a choice between male or female. So half of them are complaining, well, I'm another kid and I want, you know, I want worm sex or whatever it is on their driver's license. And so they're, they're sort of, uh, freaking out about this and they're saying that this is an oppression. Right. And they keep throwing out this thing of, Oh, we're getting beat up. It's like, yeah, I've been beat up plenty of times. I got jumped by six people my first day of sixth grade and they were beating me on the ground. Okay. So, I mean, don't come to me saying like, Oh, I had this horrible experience. I got beat up. It's like, yeah. Like so did everybody else, you know, stop whining about it, you know, walk it off. It's just astonishing. It astonishes me. And, you know, kind of like the total lack of context that these people come into, you know, they're, they're the supposed social justice warriors or whatever. And, you know, gender pronouns is the most important thing going on in the world. You know, never mind like bombing, mass murder, you know, collapsing mm-hmm. economy. None of this phases them. It's, you know, oh, he didn't call me the right pronoun, blah, blah, blah. Well, right. maybe, maybe we can use that as a segue to... Um, like some different aspects of this. I have in mind, well, two kind of big topics. We might not be able to get to both of them, but one is this, the, the kind of larger context of this idea of progressive values. And this kind of came up in an article I wrote on the SOT page uh, about a week ago on this whole Pizzagate scandal thing. And basically, to sum that up in you know very few words, essentially, a lot of the people around Clinton, including the Podestas and their friends, and the kind of uh, artists that they hang out with are really shady, kind of creepy people. And so, for example, there was the uh, spirit cooking with Marina Abramovic. And then there's the fact that Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother, is a, one of the you know biggest art collectors in D.C. and uh, specializing in modern art and you know contemporary art. <coughs> artists and if you look at the the kind of stuff that they're into it's really disturbing stuff um often with um like pedophiliac implications disturbing images of young children with like um red bums in their underwear you know covering covering their bums and in in weird positions like uh, restrained in some ways tied from the ceiling <clears throat> that's from the, from this one serbian artist and um, if you just and if you follow the the links between all these people, including this kind of pizza place that all the DC bigwigs hang out at and have meetings at, it's it's just there's some really disturbing stuff going on. And when you take into account the some of the ideas in Ponderology, one of the things that uh, Lobachevsky writes about um, kind of uh, pathological um, elites is that they have a, a certain vision of the world. Um, well, first of all, there's a kind of victimhood mentality where the world doesn't accept them as they are because the world, well, naturally perceives them as pathological to some degree, and that would include like a, um, well, psychopathy and, and pedophile tendencies like that. So the, the wider society naturally rejects them, and they've so they feel persecuted, and they have a vision of a of a world where they are in charge and they are accepted. So. On, on one level, we have these progressive values, and Peterson identifies these as uh, like the, the PC liberal um, personality, where you have certain kind of liberal beliefs, but then you've got, um, he distinguishes between the PC liberals and the PC authoritarians. Now, the authoritarians are more willing to 
uh, well, they're like a right-wing authoritarian, but they're a left-wing authoritarian. They're more willing to be kind of militant in their beliefs and, uh, and, and their willingness to, to punish and go after people they perceive to be, um, you know, not like them. And so you have these two camps, and you see that in progressive values, where you have these progressive values that sound great on the surface, like equality and, you know, just everyone getting along and, uh, you know, accepting um, homosexuality and fighting against persecution of homosexuals. On the other hand, you have some really sick, twisted individuals that are basically um, hijacking or, you know, riding on the coattails of that movement of those progressive values, because in their mind, they they're, they want a society in which they can do whatever they want, no matter how sick and twisted the rest of the society sees that as, and they can get away with it because of progressive values. It's just like, well, everyone needs to be accepted, mm-hmm. even if I'm a murdering, uh, you know, right. sick pedophile who <coughs> in, enjoys molesting children. That's the kind of, there's the kind of underbelly of this whole progressive values, and that's what you really see in the right. D.C. scene. And we've known about that for years, about what goes on in D.C. There's just, it's sick people. It's probably one of the most pathological regions on the planet, a concentration mm-hmm. of evil. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, 94% right. of, of D.C.ers voted for Hillary. But we'll go on. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things you have to sort of uh, like appreciate, right? So you say that, like, these individuals, like, specifically, like, I'll call them like very psychopathic individuals or sort of quite, quite bad people that they want to accomplish something. And you sort of have to ask yourself by what mechanism do they choose to accomplish it? And you say, well, mm-hmm. they're going to get pedophilia accepted. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and well, how do you do that? Like, let's say for instance, you're, you're a psychopath and you're in a society that just doesn't like, uh, you know, being people being a pederast and you're like, well, I want pederasty. So, how am I going to go about it? And everyone sort of makes this, has this disconnect between the, the, the individual wanting to change society and the fact that society is changing and it's all by this sort of spooky action at a distance for most people. They don't realize that, that these people, they sit down and they think about it. They think it through. And, and some of them who, who have certain sort of morbid psychologies also happen to have very powerful brains so they can make plans and they can have ideas. And it turns out that they share that information and that's sort of what Andrew Breitbart was getting to with this whole idea of this cultural Marxism, this Frankfurt School stuff, and this sort of deconstruction. And, the and, and of course, if you go and watch Jordan Peterson's lectures, you'll see that he talks from another angle about it, about you know the exploding of categories, uh, getting rid of gender identity, uh, making sexual orientation be this sort of uh, totally free and liberal thing, and you can just choose any kind of orientation you want, and and, and all this different stuff. So all of these things are all part of a plan of degrading sort of traditional conservative and largely Christian Western values in order to facilitate this kind of stuff. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's how they do it. Well, and that's right out of planerology yeah. too, where uh, Lobachevsky was saying the thing about communism. And the patholo- one of the pathological things about communism, as it was, you know, in the Soviet Union, was that th- this view of human nature, that there is no such thing as human nature, and basically what human nature is, is this blank slate to be just formed in the, in the, uh, in the image of what the, the, I guess, the communist revolutionaries want it to be. And when you, the, when you take that, the Rasa. 
that wi- that wider worldview into this progressive values thing and and liberalism that's what they're saying about about people that there is no real human or in this case you know male female nature it's this nebulous thing that just gets formed from social uh forces and it's just there's no there's no objectivity about it it's just totally um totally a, a social construction and that that o- that leaves open that possibility so now that everyone's just everyone's equal everyone's equally you know whatever they are and that well pedophiles are just equally equal psychopaths are just equally equal they won't yeah. actually say it in those terms but that's the implication and that's the that's the direction that leads and it's, and uh you know it's easy to see it happening yeah it's just the slow creep towards it well to the point well, where I mean, like the, the- to the point where you can have someone who is you know pretty sick like a lot of these guys tied to tied to the podestas who can then say, well, I'm just being persecuted because I'm a homosexual, when that's not the issue. It's not that they're a homosexual. Like, like you're saying, Jason, no one cares that they're a homosexual, or at least the vast majority of people don't care. What they care is that they're, like, perverts, like, n- totally unrelated to that their That you're a card-carrying member of NAMBLA, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the particular problem. I mean, that's the problem. The thing is, is, like, people don't realize that they've adopted a language of absolute stupidity, Right. And they've done it for politically correct reasons. The thing is, when you say everyone's equal, well, what about pedophiles? You know, you can find, you can always find people in society who lose their equality, uh, for various reasons. It's just society just can't work that way. You know, I mean, no two people are equally tall, equally strong, equally fat, equally smart, equally stupid, equally fast, uh, equally heterosexual, equally homosexual, some of them like this, some of them like that. Then, you know, that whole radical equality that, that, that comes with, sort of platonic equality that sort of posits that everyone's a tab of the rust and therefore anything can be written onto them. So everyone is radically equal. The whole idea of equality in the West was equality before the law. It was, that was just it. That was the end of it. You know, everyone has different starting states. Everyone has different capacities. Some people are going to be ditch diggers for the rest of their life. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's what they're going to be. And some people are going to be entrepreneurs and some people will be scientists and philosophers and theologians and so on and so forth. You know, each according to, to the, their desires and what they can do to manifest who they are. So people should be very, very careful uh, and, and start interrogating the ideas that they have. And you might find, I think, that much of what you think about the world is through a lens that is actually quite uh, pathological when you really think about it. You know, I mean, they, they've infected the language to a degree that a lot of people just aren't even aware of that they're limited in their way of conceiving of, of how things are and how things should be and how things, you know, might develop in the future because they all think that we're in this progressivist dream where we're all marching towards uh, an absolute radical equality where we're basically marching towards a brave new world, except no one seems to realize that Aldous Huxley sort of wrote that to say, hey, this is really bad and a horrible idea, and you probably don't want this. And, uh, you know, and sort of George Orwell's 1984 was like, hey, this is going to be a dystopia. And everyone's like, nah, it's all right. They just didn't implement that stuff right. You know, I mean, come on. Socialism's all right. You know, I mean, even Bernie Sanders, like, publicly says it. It drives me nuts. Sorry, that was my rant. <laughs> well, the second issue is the kind of, we hinted at it earlier, the kind of wider um, implications of all this and the way it's kind of developed. Because, I mean, on SOT, you know, ever since 9-11 and, and the George Bush uh, regime, we've been um, really kind of looking at the developments that, that uh, have taken place since then that have really been like a kind of fascist shift, as uh, Naomi Wolf calls it. 
But that didn't change with Obama coming into power. And so for the past eight years, we've had the, the increase of this uh, kind of awareness of the, the liberal side of, of this um, kind of imperial hegemony in terms of these progressive values. So not only do we have all this uh, talk about equality and uh, humanitarianism at home on the domestic front, well, on the foreign front, that's where we get into things like the responsibility to protect uh, humanitarian interventions and the the focus <coughs> on human rights in other countries and democracy. And uh, so there's this whole liberal... Um, um, flavor that gets put on to, in, to empire in foreign nations. And so, so it's really a, um, a pretty genius idea because if you look at any country on the world, any country on, in, the, in the world is going to have some kind of human rights violations or things that can be considered as such. No country is perfect. And so whenever there's a country that uh, you know, gets in the way of, of imperial, I mean, American imperialism, then they can, they can just focus on those existing um, problems in that country and, write, and um, label them as this horrible, these horrible crimes against democracy. And this, you know, so this country, therefore, needs democracy. Or they can manufacture the problems. And that, that gives a justification to the people at home and to the entire kind of Western world for why this is necessary. So now we have this, uh, humani- this uh, humanitarian liberal justification for going and destroying another country. And so we've seen this. We've seen this develop. It's 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 been like a seamless development since nine eleven. And of course, there are, are the conditions that have existed before that, and you know, for the past seventy years. But uh, I, I think there's been a real concentration of these kind of things in the past fifteen years. So you have this uh, kind of double fronted um, assault on uh, on society. Go ahead. I mean, this is all liberals of the world unite kind of stuff. You know, I mean. I mean, you gotta, you gotta make sure that, like, you know, there's this whole sort of passage, I think it's in Mark, you know, I think it might be in all the synoptic ones, but I think it's best sort of explained in Mark, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them, Mm -hmm. right? Never let a group of individuals ever define themselves because they will always define themselves as good, pure, righteous, wonderful, well-intentioned, right? The thing is, is the exporting of democracy is not in any way democratic, so it's a lie, right? Because you can't go into someone else's country with a gun and tell them, "Hey, you gotta be, you gotta be free. Here's some American freedom." I mean, it's such bull, right? You can't let the American establishment define itself for you. It has been fascist for a long time. It has been fascist, actually, probably for the most part since the 30s. Right. And the problem is I see a lot of people, they use the word fascist. They mean mean. They mean bad. They mean naughty. They mean, oh, you mean person. Right. Mm-hmm. Fascism <laughs> is national socialism. It's Nazism. You know, I mean, and, and, and Obama was not moving away from it. You think, oh, Bush was mean. So he's a fascist. Obama was nice. So he was a well-intentioned dupe. No, they were both fascists. Totally. Bush and Obama were the fat were the completely and totally fascist. It was a perfect there, symbol. There was no difference between them, but their their rhetoric was different. They said, you know, I'm a nice guy and, and, and Bush is all like, I'm a real big meanie and I'm a tough dude. I'm from Texas, but he's actually from Martha's Vineyard. But that's mm-hmm. just their rhetoric, right? What they did was the same thing. They started wars, they invaded countries, <laughs> and, you know, they were killing people left and right. 
Because, I mean, somebody comes up and says, hi, I'm a conservative Republican, a Christian. It's like BS, absolute BS. And, of course, the irony irony of this entire uh, election is that Trump Trump, uh, projects this kind of fascist persona. It's been foisted upon him. Uh, You know, there have been analysts who have broken down uh, his affiliation or non-affiliation to white nationalism. It's a complete kind of a liberal media lie. And, um, and the truth of the matter is that Hillary Clinton uh, is, is a kind of epitome uh, of, of fascism, and she is the real fascism. Uh, but, but Trump falls so easily in so many people's minds as the, as the uh, shining example of, of it, and he's not. Well, that's the question I wanted to ask like- now. Is that like how does how does Trump fit into this? So how should we be seeing uh, Trump's win in this election and the republic? You know, a, basically a Republican win. Mm-hmm. Well, like on that, that note, we got a couple of messages to South this week. Um, one, a direct message. I have been. This is uh, JB writing. I have been an avid reader of your page for the last four years. At this point. Over the years, I've seen multiple points of view being shared regardless of political views and perspectives. However, I have noticed that the opinions from your main writers keep moving towards one side of the spectrum. Now, it didn't clarify which side, but I presume that means to the right. Elsewhere on South's Facebook page, I noticed a little conversation under something we posted. Um, DW writes, what's with the 98% of South being bootlicking pro-Trump article lately? PB responds, glad someone else noticed. I'm, a, I'm about to drop them, and they have been a favorite of mine for years. DW responds, yeah, me too. So, yeah, um, what's with all the bootlicking Trump articles, people? Well, this is daddy. He's, it's not one. It's, it's not that we are pro-Trump. Uh, it's that Saad is presenting a um, – we're just – Taking off the uh, the the liberal progressive uh, blinders um, from our observation of what Trump is actually saying and doing, uh, so you know, and that seems to be an awful uh, scarcity uh, in in the media. So that's the short answer, I I would say. I mean, I think the liberals, you know, as a movement or group, or you know, however you would want to classify them. Maybe it's just been from Obama, you know, who got into power selling hope and change um, while continuing the exact same policies of Bush. Um, You know, I think they've really, it seems at least over the last eight years, have lost all sense of reason, values, anything. Um, You know, so it's, you know, I, I don't know. I see just having some sanity in there. You see Trump get in, whereas, you know, you know exactly what's going to happen with Hillary getting into power. Um, and Trump's at least an unknown, you know, there's, there's something new there. We don't know exactly what he's going to do. Um, but I, I don't really understand what this, what the South commenters, uh, or readers questions were, I mean, what, what did we come from the left or what was the point? What, what were we before? We were in the middle thought, of the road. He thought we were on their team. He thought we were in the middle of the road. Maybe we, we didn't take an opinion. Of course, we take an opinion. We take opinions all the time on different things, you know. And I think but, we seem to be rejoicing that Trump won. Well, yeah, but if this guy doesn't understand why we're not that we're rejoicing, but that we're happy that he won rather than Clinton to a certain extent, um, 
then if he doesn't understand why, then he doesn't understand anything. You know, he he probably thinks that these people still think in terms of left and right and that, that bullshit paradigm that doesn't actually exist, you know? I mean, we don't have a lot of hope, but the Trump win just offered a little bit of hope that uh, that there may be a stay in, uh, or that it may stay the hand of uh, of, of kind of warmongers and the people who are out to kind of destroy and dominate and you know own as much of the planet as possible and, and destroy as much of the world as possible. Uh, that 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 Trump man shaking that up a little bit. If that's the case, then that can only be a good thing. It's effectively a kind of a stay of execution or a stay from the from the continued bloodshed and warmongering and lies, uh, you know, saying, saying decent freedom and democracy and, and, and blowing people to pieces. So uh, that's why we were supportive of Trump, because uh, uh, how could you possibly support Hillary? How could you not be happy to see Hillary's demise? How could you not even take a little bit of satisfaction in, in seeing that woman brought low because of who she is, because she's a foul harpy and uh, anybody who doesn't see that is, is delusional. So, I mean, it's not very complicated. It's like when someone that you know is a ruthless, vicious, harpy, warmonger and witch uh, is beaten, even if it's by Satan himself, you might be a little bit happy for a while. You might say, good job, Satan. You took, okay, maybe not Satan, but, you know, um, some other pretty bad people. You know, so uh, it's the kind of nuances that a lot of people don't understand because they're still stuck in the left and left. Uh, left-right kind of paradigm type thing and they don't understand a lot and unfortunately a lot of people who read that especially people that we don't really know uh, don't really understand a lot um, they pick and choose and stuff and they don't really understand our, our perspective because well uh, I think it's too complicated and too difficult for them to I think the official answer should be we do it for the kicks <laughs> for the kicks <laughs> for the lulls kick kick well, there's no for the lulls. I think I think there's one thing that you pointed out there, Joe, about the stuck in this left-right paradigm. Because I think a lot of, um, let's say, people in the alternative news, or even um, you know, you might, you might call them anti-imperialists, or just people that fall into that category, are um, from their perspective, um, Republicans are evil and categorically evil all the time, everywhere. And you know when a when a leftist Why, or a they're the war party or something. Yeah, because they're the war, well, they're just Republican. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, historically, they may have been the the, the war party, or it doesn't even matter. It's just that they're Republican. And you know when when what a Democrat the party of comes LBJ? in, what's that? What was the party of LBJ? <laughs> right. What was? Yeah. <laughs> but the war party is Democrat. Statistically, yeah, yeah the Dem- most wars have taken place on the Democrat administration. But the the point here is that you know they they kind of have this this leftist liberal perspective, and so you know they may dislike Obama, but really that's where their sensibilities lie. Whereas um, I think the per, the perspective that we try to take is just to completely disregard that whole left right narrative and to see okay, well um, sure you know both parties have um, definitely have their their negative qualities or you know or policy positions that um, you know we might disagree mm. with but we're not you know really interested in you know just taking a side based on <clears throat> um, um, you know, taking an overall side to the exclusion of anything else so when you look at um, Trump for example and, and you look at some of his recent cabinet uh, choices for for positions in his cabinet, Sure, there are some things that people have said that, pers- like I personally disagree with, or um, you know, wouldn't like. And I, I mean, I've 
you know, for my youth and, you know, young adulthood, I, I, I would consider myself probably like on the left of the spectrum. But at the same time, if I look at these, at these Republicans and I look at some of the things they're saying and some of the things that Trump is saying about, um, you know, what, what his, uh, a lot of his policies, uh, what a lot of the things he wants to do and a lot of the things that these people want to do. Um, if I look at them just, you know, disregarding whether they're left or right, you know, Republican or Democrat, like, uh, like the recent clip, um, that we put on the SOT Media YouTube of the Benghazi hearings, and there's Pompeo, the new CIA mm-hmm. director, grilling, uh, Hillary about, um, the, the guys at Benghazi meeting with, Enga- with, uh, Al Qaeda operatives two hours before the, the whole Benghazi incident. And you've got, like, you know, a guy like Trey Gowdy, who I love, and, and, uh, you know, I've never been in a, uh, a Republican. <laughs> Well, I'm not American either, but uh, but then and then you look at you you look at um, like the like General Flynn and the things that he's uh, that he's been saying about um, you know he was head of the DIA when they produced that 2012 memo on the on um, what was going on in Syria and basically predicting the rise of the Islamic State because all of the Western powers and their allies wanted to or were. were uh, were supporting these Salafist jihadis, and they wanted to create an Islamic state, and that's the policy that they were supporting. And Flynn disagreed with that, and that's a totally rational position, regardless of what you know, what side of the left or right spectrum you're on. Those are those are rational, you know, positions to be taking. And so, what we're doing on Saad, at least the way I see it right now, is just first of all to kind of. Um, um, Get behind and expose the the total media bias against uh, like Trump and the some of like these Republicans or you know the alt right, but at the same time to say, well, what are they actually saying, and what are the some of the things that they, that they are saying that they want to do that can actually be considered good or you know worth supporting? Mm-hmm. Because no no candidate is totally uh, or no party is totally evil and has no good things that they want to do. It's not like it's not like someone's. It's not like Trump's the leader of the Hitler Party that just wants to make everything bad and evil. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. So for people that that think that we're just Trump supporters, it's just a very simplistic way of looking at it. That uh, you know, it's just it's not that simple. Yeah. Hitler was a leftist. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those the definitions obviously don't really mean very much anymore, or if they ever uh, if they ever did, really, you know, behind the scenes. Or no, I mean, the left it, left right was only really for the people to to. to well, they created the word on. the right to 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 describe the fascists because they were they were not on with the whole global socialist revolution, right? So they said, well, they're on the they're, they're these these right nationalists because their whole idea was national socialism because they realized that. Uh, the workers of the world weren't going to unite, and that German workers were more interested in the outcome for German workers and didn't care anything about, you know, uh, Asian workers or Russian workers, you know. And this, right. this is kind of what Mussolini, that's why Mussolini left and was kicked out of the Socialist Party, and that's why he started fascism, which was his brand of socialism. And then that, that, that inner war is like the left and the right are all subcategories of leftism. <laughs> and they've sort of brought it over to America, and now they define the, pe- the Republicans as the right or something like that. And we're all like, um, no, that's, that's you guys. You know, what's ironic is that when a under Abraham Lincoln's administration, when he, when he got there, 13th amendment, yeah. the abolishment of slavery back in those days, the Republicans were what we would might call the left today. 
there was a faction, the Radical Republicans. Yeah. They were called Radical Republicans because they not only wanted to <laughs> abolish slavery, they believed that black people should get the vote as well. And that was considered extremely what we would call today left. Well, well, they had a, a literal interpretation of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the, 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 the amendments to the Constitution, which basically said that all men are created equal. And they said that obviously men meant humanity, and that meant everybody, including blacks and women, right? That was their whole position. They were just literal constitutionalists, which is Republicanism has historically been like the oldest American party. It was the, you know, the anti-slavery party, anti-racism party, it was the anti-Jim Crow party. And it always has been those things. And in the 1960s, there was what they called the big switch, where the Democrats realized that they that the only way that they could maintain their racism was with sort of like what we call now soft racism, the soft racism of low expectations and the sort of, you know, the, 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 the paternalistic patting all the, the, the blacks and the minorities on the head and it's okay. You're so oppressed here. You know, we'll just use you to, as our, as our power base against the, the Republicans so that we can sort of bring about our social democratic, you know, paradise. This is why an understanding of polarity is crucial because just when you think you've got it worked out, mm-hmm. you don't realize it, but ponogenesis, that is the slow corruption of concepts and right. people and movements and ideas, has been taking place on the good side, in quotes. You know, it, mm-hmm. It'll shift just when you think you've got it nailed. It's coming at you this way now. Right. Yeah, and, you, and you can't predict it. You can't, say that, you can't say that it's always going to come from uh, you know, a, a movement or a party considered right. I mean, just... Like, uh, like Jason's saying, like, I mean, look at the, the number of, uh, of dictatorships or just horrible government systems that have come from the left. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not impossible. Well, Harrison, you said when you were, uh, younger, you know, maybe before now you would have identified yourself as being on the left, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would have probably said the same uh, in my youth. Hey, I'm a millennial. Yeah, but you definitely, I don't know know what that makes you... uh, (laughs) But I'm a conservative, <laughs> I'm a Christian, and I'm a Republican. But in I, that I, order. I have, <laughs> the thing is, the, uh, the thing is, you know, in their youthful enthusiasm, it's, under, it's understandable that, you know, people would have uh, subscribed to that idea of, uh, you know, multiculturalism and uh, open society and hands around the world and let's all be friends and stuff. But you know what? Uh, it seems that um, there's nothing wrong with those ideals, but they're maybe a bit of a stretch for humanity given it's the current stage of evolution that the human beings are at and also the fact that they quote unquote uh, that is the powers of peace apparently they, they seem to have used that against us mm-hmm. you know against the people who aspire to that kind of uh, <clears throat> those ideals and stuff mm-hmm. and I think it's, uh, it's I haven't, it- haven't learned the lesson right now uh, we should just decide to uh, we should go back to back to basics and that is for me anyway it's kind of like Isolationism, in a certain sense, back to your tribe, back to your own kind of uh, group of people, and stop, uh, stop trying to kind of change the world or interact with people, and stop trying to, uh, you know, stop, stop, stop trying to push those kind of liberal, progressive uh, values because they have been absolutely and completely subverted and corrupted and stuff. And it's, if that's the case, well, then okay, we recognize reality for what it is, and we. Uh, we turn back to to the basics, which is you just stick or stick with the people that uh, you know. Kind of fe- uh, feudalism, also a global feudalism mm. instead of globalization, global feudalism. 
Because that's that's the system that they've imposed on us, and, and they're trying to exploit. It. You stick your neck out, and, and you get exploited for it, and, and the whole thing gets twisted and yeah. corrupted. So, so okay, fine, screw you. See you later. Well, the Chinese seem to have this down. They've they've used, generally been a closed society, and they periodically open up a bit, as they are today in this era. But it seems like a, on the whole, given the reality we're in, a healthy stance to take because. It's contrary is an opening to all kinds of uh, corruption. Yeah, somebody somewhere has screwed up this world, and they're turning it into a basically a hellhole. And it's you know it's a the prudent thing to do for any human being is to go okay. I'm just gonna back away slowly. <coughs> uh, we can still kind of broadcast from our from our hidey holes, whatever, but uh, and give our opinions. But I think the the era of you know. Of uh, hands around the world and everybody being equal and loving and you know, well, you know a, a whole utopia type of thing that's that's over you know it's done. Well, you know, I mean, uh, sort of listening to this sort of talk and I think it's sort of a very sort of natural kind of human conversation that I've heard you know many many times. Very edifying. And I think that the people should stop for a minute and, and sort of realize how uh, whatever these people are, you know, psychopaths or whatever forces of darkness, whatever. I mean, however you want to interpret it, everybody's got different interpretations. The religious have one, the secular have another. They get you coming and they get you going. They yeah. get you if you hate, but they come up with a way to get you with love. They get you if you love. They get you with this starry eyed fantasy of a utopia of, you know, sort of global altruism and everybody will run dancing and singing in the sun and we'll all like make, We'll have flowers in our hair, and there'll be free love and free. I mean, even the concept of free love—I mean, it was just sort of obscene. But they get you with both of them, so you have to be very careful that they'll exploit uh, your anger, your fear, your rage, but they'll also exploit your empathy and your love. They'll—they'll—they'll they'll, they'll play the victim. They'll suck you in to commit to do things exactly. that you morally don't really want to do if you really thought about it. They'll trick you. They'll they'll use conversive thinking yeah. to twist things. They'll use paramoralisms to justify things. So you have to be really, really careful. I think that probably the best thing you could ever do is to apply the five whys. You ask why five times any sort of thing. You sort of try to come up with a different answer. You interrogate, why do I believe this? Is this true? Is that what they really mean? And you just sort of ask questions. And I think that if you do that, mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll find out that a lot of the rhetoric of, of altruism and globalism and progressivism is all this thinly veiled sales pitch on top of what is actually a horrific and totalitarian idea by a group of people who want to take over and subjugate the world to their will. Mm-hmm. And this is what the psychopaths want. They, they want to, to be in power so that they can subjugate you. And this is a thing that's been going on right. for thousands of years, all the way back to Plato and probably even further. And they may, they may end up subjugating, uh, succeeding in that and subjugating a lot of people, but there's also a lot of people who are going to have been watching like us and who learn a lot from it. So despite their intentions of subjugating you, i.e. oppressing you and keeping you down, what they actually achieve, at least for those who are watching, is that they help you to learn and grow and become smarter. And that's our agenda and that's our goal. It's a never-ending battle in that, though. On that note, Mm -hmm. we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. We've reached the top of the hour almost. So Harrison, 
Take a side. For the well, night. So it's a good time. Second side of the right. What Joe said. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully we'll be doing an interview next week. Not sure who it'll be yet, but uh, we've got a few people lined up, so we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, we'll let you know what happens, uh, who we've got planned uh, by, you know, Friday, Saturday, next this week. So thanks for tuning in, and everyone, take care. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thanks to Jason for coming. Au revoir.